This morning we're going to go back to Acts chapter 15, and we are going to look at Acts 15 this morning, and uh, I told you last week as we started this chapter, kind of coming back for a new semester, that this is one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts, and it really is kind of the halfway point in the book of Acts, but so much happens here that is very, very, very applicable to our day and has impacted our day that we live even almost 2,000 years later. And so we're going to look at this chapter, and it'll probably take us a few weeks to get through it. We started it last week just trying to get you kind of a summary of the book of Acts and then trying to catch you back up to speed where we are. But today we'll just kind of go into what's happening here specifically in Acts chapter 15. We'll read it in just a minute, but just let me remind you of where we are. Basically in Acts chapter 13... Paul and Barnabas are sent out on the first missionary journey. And so the church of Antioch in Syria there in Acts chapter 13, a great, great church, a sending church, a missional church. A lot of what we do today is basically mimicked after Acts chapter 13 in the church of Antioch, how we do missions. And so Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas there, they're elders, they're leaders, they're preachers, basically teachers, and that's what they're doing there in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit of God speaks to that church, literally speaks to that church, and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. And then the church fasted and prayed over them, laid hands on them, and sent them out. And so Paul and Barnabas go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they travel, and they go and tell people about Jesus. Now the area in which they're traveling is the area of Galatia. And so Galatians in your Bible is not one specific church. It is multiple churches, but it's kind of a region. It's an area, like a state, I guess, here in the States would be like Alabama would be what Galatia would be in that area. So Galatia is where they go with the gospel, and God works through them in incredible ways through signs and miracles and wonders. You'll see some of that in Acts chapter 15. They talk about that. And they're also met with persecution, pretty intense persecution. The apostle Paul is stoned to death. And the church prays for him, and he stands up and walks back into the city that he is stoned. And then eventually, after that first journey, they come back to the church of Antioch, and what they're doing is just reporting all that God has done. That's what they're doing. They're reporting that. But as they are reporting that, some false teaching, false doctrine infiltrates the church of Antioch. And it comes from what the Bible calls Judaizers. And this is a group from the sect of the Pharisees. And we'll talk about this in a minute, but it's basically people who still have Jewish tradition and they want to mix Jewish tradition with Christianity. And they're going to say to follow Christ, you have to follow Christ, but you have to do all the things the law commands in the Old Testament as well. You can't have one without the other. It's got to be both and. And so Paul and Barnabas say, you're wrong. And they don't say it very nicely. They argue with them. And then what is going to happen is the church there in Antioch to decide this doctrinal dispute is going to send Paul and Barnabas and some other believers from Antioch to Jerusalem. And they go to Jerusalem specifically to talk to the apostles and the elders there, and they are the ones going to decide what this dispute and how it's going to be resolved. And so this kind of becomes the model for the early church. Because throughout the early church and church history, you have councils and you have groups of men that will come together like apostles, elders, the leaders of the church, the big umbrella of the church, and they will decide doctrinal disputes. They'll do things like the canon of scripture. And so we'll talk about some of that as we get further in the book of Acts. But this just kind of becomes the model of how decisions are made, disputes are resolved. 
And so we'll just read it, and then we're going to talk about it because there's a lot, lot here. So if you have your Bible, look there. We'll start reading in verse 1. I kind of explained it, but I want you to see some things here. So this is Paul and Barnabas while they're back at the church of Antioch. Verse 1 says, While Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. But Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, and they argued with them. So this wasn't just some calm, peaceful talk. There was an argument arising in the church. Basically, a fight was brewing there. So this is what it says. It says, Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, that just means believers out of Antioch, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent the delegates to Jerusalem, and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. And they told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were being converted. Okay, now that really is the gist of the matter right there. Okay, these guys from Judea who come to speak to the church of Antioch, these Judaizers, basically what they are, they're, they're racists as to what they are. And so they don't like the fact that Gentiles are being saved. I mean, that's just basically what it boils down to. And so they think that God has only chosen the Jews, and even now that he has sent Jesus to save, who is Jesus to save? the Jews and only the Jews, because what are they requiring of these Gentile believers to become Jews? That's what they're requiring of them. So this is just kind of the crux of the whole argument there, because that's what they're wanting. Okay, so just keep reading in verse 4. It says, When they arrived in Jerusalem, talking about those believers, Barnabas and Paul, when they arrived in Jerusalem, Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. Okay, now I know we're in Acts chapter 15, and that has been some time since Acts chapter 9, but it ain't been that many years. It's probably been three or four years since Acts chapter 9. But do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 9? Okay, Saul, who is Baal here in Acts chapter 15, he was radically saved in Acts chapter 9. And what was he radically saved from? Persecution. I mean, he was persecuting the church and the apostles and the elders, and he was killing them. He was dragging them into prison. He was standing there as Stephen was stoned. I mean, they hated this guy. They hated him. And early on, they would have nothing to do with him. They didn't believe that his conversion was reality. They thought it was all a lie. And who did it take to convince them that Paul truly was a follower of Jesus Christ? It was Barnabas. And without Barnabas, you would not have an Apostle Paul. Barnabas worked incredibly discipling and mentoring him. So this is just an amazing miracle here that now the church welcomes Paul. They welcome him. It's amazing. I mean, it really is. We don't understand what a miracle that is, but they welcome him. But now look at this. This is important, especially in the day we live. This is what Barnabas and Paul did. They reported everything God had done through them. Okay. How does God work on this earth? Through believers, right? How did God work in the beginning of the church? Through believers. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came 
and he came in power, just like Jesus says. They were going to be clothed with power from on high. But the Holy Spirit do it by himself? Nope. Because where does the Holy Spirit of God live? In believers. And who does the Holy Spirit of God work through? Believers. This is how God has chosen to work on this earth. Through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, through you and me, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. That is how he works. Okay, so here's the question. If we are not doing what we are led to do and the power of the Holy Spirit, how does God work on this earth? He doesn't, right? No. I mean, this is how he's chosen to do it. It's through our obedience and through our Christ-likeness to work in complete and total submission to the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how Christ worked on this earth. And that's how he's called and commanded us to do it. And guess what? Paul and Barnabas did. And because of it, you have many, many, many Gentile believers in the area of Galatia because God worked through them in signs and wonders and miracles and through the power of the Holy Spirit preaching the word of God. That's what he did. And that's what they told the church in Jerusalem. But keep reading there, verse 5. But some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted. The Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Okay, I want you to see something right here because I do believe this is very important. Okay, it says there in verse 5 that the people who stand up and are arguing against what Paul and Barnabas are arguing against are some believers from the sect of the Pharisees. Now, I want you to look back just earlier in chapter 15, and I want you to see how the Bible describes the people that infiltrated the church of Antioch and were teaching a false doctrine. Because this is what it says. Look there, just uh, verse 2. It says, Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Okay, now, were the people who arrived from Judea believers? It says they were men, right? doesn't say they were believers. It says they were men teaching the believers, talking about the believers of Antioch. Okay? So these guys right here, at the first part of Acts chapter 15, verse 2, I believe these are false prophets. I believe they're false teachers. I believe they're teaching a false gospel. Okay? But now when we get to verse 5... It's not the same group of men. It's a different group, but are they teaching the same thing? Okay, now this is very important, especially as we get closer to the last days, because I tell you all the time, we're looking at the book of Acts because we're wanting to know specifically what's going to happen in the last days. Because I believe with all my heart that just like the church began, the church is going to end. It's going to happen the same way the book of Acts. So I, we've talked about that a lot. Okay, in the end, in the last days... Are believers going to be deceived? Yes, they are. The Bible says it over. Jesus says it. The believers are going to be deceived. So what has happened here in the church is some believers are deceived, right? They're deceived. Now, is this uncommon in the church? No. Now, this has been happening through the entire history of the church. You can truly be a follower, a believer of Jesus Christ, but you can be deceived. You can. And probably most of us in this room have been deceived about certain things, whether it's our tradition or whether it's the way we've been taught or the way we grew up or the culture we grew up in. 
we come to the Bible with colored glasses on, right? And we usually read through those colored glasses and we read through our traditions and what we've been taught rather than reading the Bible for what it says. And that's just the way it is. And so let's just think about who I believe there are believers who are deceived about certain things. And it's very similar to what happens in Acts chapter 15. Basically, these believers are saying, for you to be a follower of Christ, yes, you have to trust Jesus Christ, but you have to do something else. They tag things on it, basically saying, Christ Jesus is not enough. That's what you're saying, right? I mean, that's all you're saying. Well, does that ever happen in our day? Of course it does. Okay, I won't mention any names, but we have whole denominations that say for you to truly be saved, you have to be baptized. That's qualification. If you want to be saved, you have to be baptized. Well, that's adding on to Jesus, right? That's putting a works or that is putting something in that Jesus is not enough. Okay, there are others that say to be true follower of Jesus Christ, you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what do they mean by that? Meaning you have to speak in tongues. And that's the manifestation of being baptized in the Spirit. And if you can't speak in tongues, you're not saved. There are people who teach that. Okay? We have Catholic brothers and sisters, and I believe there are some Catholic brothers and sisters that add to the gospel. Because what do they say? Well, you have to do this. you got to take the Eucharist. You have to confess your sins. You have to pay penance. You have to be baptized. All these things. So this is not uncommon, and it is not uncommon for believers to be deceived, okay? And you're going to find out in just a minute that even the apostles can be deceived. Now, we don't like to think about that one, do we? Because they're leaders. So guess what? I can be deceived. So what do I tell you all the time? Check it. According to Scripture... And what I say, because, listen, I fall all the time, and I'm fallible, and I say stupid things. That's why I try to stay so close to the Scripture. But you should judge everything I say according to the Word of God. Why? Because that's what the Bible says for you to do, right? Okay? Don't take what I say, lock, stock, and barrel. Test it according to Scripture. Test it. Because that is our barometer. That is what keeps us close to the heart of God. Okay, so let's just keep reading there because that was very important. But go back to verse 5. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, the Gentile converts must be circumcised as required to follow the law of Moses. Okay, so this is what happens. Verse 6. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting... After a long discussion. Okay, stop there for just a second. Because basically what we have here in Acts chapter 15 is we have the summary of this meeting, or what most call the Jerusalem Council, the first council. This was probably a three-day to a week-long event. Okay? And they would hear an argument, then they would hear another argument, and then it would be combative, just kind of go back and forth, almost like a court of law. It would be very similar to that. And so they would talk, and they would have a long discussion. So this is not just a few minutes. It's not just a few hours. This is several days of this going back and forth. But then finally, at the end of these days, however long it was, this is what happened. Peter stood up 
and addressed them as follows. This is what he says. He says, Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. Okay, now what is he referencing there? We read this in the book of Acts earlier. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is a Gentile believer. He's a soldier, a Roman officer. And so Peter goes and talks to him. But now does Peter just do this on his own and out of his own initiative? No, you might want to go read a little bit earlier because what does the Holy Spirit of God have to do? He has to shake him and break some of his prejudices to be able to do this. And thank God he does this. The Holy Spirit of God is at work. That's what the whole book of Acts is about, the works of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work, and he shows them some things that I'm thankful for today because I get to go eat pork right after this. I've got a, <laughs> I'm going to eat barbecue, and I'm thankful for that, thankful for the dream and visions that Peter had. But the Holy Spirit of God had to shake him so that Peter would go and he would speak to this man named Cornelius. And this is what he keeps on and saying here as he's talking to the council in Acts 15. He said, God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Boy, that's important. How does Jesus Christ cleanse us? How does he save us? Through faith. Verse 11, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo, well, that's powerful words there. And by the way, these are the last recorded words we have of Peter in the book of Acts. The only thing else you have in the Bible is what he writes in First and Second Peter. But this is the last time he talks. But I'm telling you, these are powerful words. Why? Because these are words from the Holy Spirit of God. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit of God when he says this. And I just want you to understand how important this is. Because right here, if what Peter says had have been just a little bit different, and he had have said, yes, we're saved by faith through grace, but it's a good idea that those Gentile believers are circumcised and they obey the law of Moses. That's a good idea because I had to do it. Everything would have changed right there. And you and I would not be here today. And I don't mean be in this church today. I mean you and I would not be here today. Have you ever thought about some of the ramifications of what happens biblically? Okay, if Peter had have said what he wanted to say rather than what the Holy Spirit of God told him to say, and I'm going to show you that in a minute. If he had said what he wanted to say, then you and I wouldn't be here today because the move of Christianity would have stopped right there. And rather than churches sprouting up all over the Middle East and then Europe and other places, it would be little synagogues. And they might be a little different, might look different, they might have done different things, but they'd have been synagogues. And the gospel would have never spread to Europe. And guess what? There would have never been settlers who had tried to escape Europe to get to a place called America to worship Jesus Christ in freedom. And the spread of the gospel would have stopped. And you and I are here because of these words in Acts chapter 15. 
And we can take it through a long list of history if you want to go through a long list of history. But this is really a watershed moment for us. And I just want you to think about Peter and why he says these words. Now, I told you the reason he says them is because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. But what words is he speaking? He's speaking the words of Christ. Okay, now remember, Peter spent some time with Jesus, right? Okay, and there's several stories we could look at, but just think about this. Okay, in John chapter 4, the Bible talks about Jesus and the disciples walking through an area that they normally wouldn't walk through, but Jesus made them walk through it, called Samaria. They come to a little village called Sychar, and right outside the village, there's a well, the well of Jacob. And so Jesus sits down at that well, and the disciples go into town to get some food to eat, and they're going to bring it back to the well. And Jesus is sitting at the well for a very specific reason, because at noontime, a lady comes to that well when women never come to the well. They come early in the morning out of the heat of the day. You can understand that if you go outside at noon just a minute, right? But she would come at noontime because she didn't want anybody else to see her. She didn't want to have to talk to anybody. She didn't want anybody to have to talk about her because they weren't going to talk to her, but they'd talk about her. And we know just from the story in John chapter 4 that she had had several husbands, and then Jesus says, the dude you're with now ain't your husband. And so what does Jesus do? He radically saves her. He changes her life. Now, is this a Jewish lady? No, she's Samaritan. She's basically half Assyrian, half Jewish. They had different types of worship, different type of customs, and the Jews and the Samaritans hated one another, hated one another. But Jesus changes all that, sitting at that well. And I want you to see what he says, and then I want you to think about what Peter says here in Acts chapter 15. So just listen to John chapter 4. This is how the lady responds, the Samaritan woman, to Jesus. Sir, talking to Jesus, Sir, the woman said, You must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worship? But Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while the Jews know all about him. For salvation comes to the Jews, but the time is coming indeed, and it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, when he comes, he will explain it to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had any nerve to ask, What are you wanting us to do with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Okay, so Peter was there and saw this. He didn't hear everything that was said. But don't you figure Peter and the disciples asked Jesus, What did you say to this Samaritan woman? And Jesus told him what he said. And Jesus said, All that's gone. The worship at Jerusalem, the Old Testament law, 
all this garbage that none of us could keep. It's all about me. I'm the Messiah. And so in Acts chapter 15, what does Peter talk about? Freedom in Christ. And he even says there that you're trying to put a yoke on believers that they don't need. Where do you think he got that word? Well, he got it from Jesus. I mean, I'm, I just want you to see that all Peter is doing is he's just quoting Jesus. Matthew 11, just listen to what the Bible says here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. He says, At that time Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and revealing them to childlike faith. Yes, Father, it pleased you in this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me, no one truly knows the Son except through the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except through the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself, then he said, Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Okay, so what were these believers and what were these from the sect of the Pharisees trying to do? Put a yoke on us that ain't easy and ain't light. It's heavy and it's burdensome, and all it is is Old Testament law. And how many years did people try to live under Old Testament law and fail? A bunch of them. And what was the whole point of Old Testament law? To show you that you couldn't do it and that you needed a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And so all Peter is doing is pointing them to Jesus there. He's just telling them how they can be saved in Jesus Christ. So go back to Acts chapter 15, because this is what it says in verse 12. Then it says, Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Okay, again, do not take this verse lightly because, yes, Peter stands up and he talks, but how is the council convinced that God has really chosen the Gentiles for salvation through Jesus Christ? <laughs> because Paul and Barnabas told them about something. What did he tell them about? Signs and wonders. And how are signs and wonders possible? Through the Holy Spirit of God. And how does the Holy Spirit of God do signs and wonders and miracles? Through believers. Is that not what they say? Okay, listen, listen again. Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through who? Them. God does these things through believers. And this is what convinced the council and the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem that, yes, it's true. God has chosen the Gentiles to reveal himself and to save them. It wasn't Peter. How do I know? Well, keep reading. Verse 13. When they had finished, Paul and Barnabas talking, when they had finished, James stood and said, okay, now does Peter stand back up and say, no. Who's the final authority here? James is the final authority. Okay, so we could talk a lot about this, and we probably should at some point when we talk about the head of the church and popeship and different things. Peter wasn't even the head of the church in Jerusalem. Okay? He was an apostle, yes, and he was a leader, yes, but who's the pastor? Who's the shepherd? Who's the leader? 
James. Now again, this is James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. This is not James the apostle. He's already had his meeting with Jesus, basically, because we have that in Acts chapter 12. James is martyred for Christ. So this is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who writes the book of James in the Bible. And he's the pastor there, the head elder, however you want to call it, of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, James is very wise. He's called James the Just, and he's very, very respected. And so this is what he says. He says, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted as it is written. This is Amos 9. Afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all of those I called to be mine. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known long ago. And so, again, this is James speaking, and so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Thank God for that statement in the Bible. We do not make it difficult for people to come to faith in Christ Jesus because it is not difficult according to the Word of God. Amen? Amen. You put your faith in Him and you make Him the Lord of your life. That's all you do. There are no rules. There's no regulations. You follow Him. And James stood and he said this. And basically what he's saying here is he's basically going back in time and saying, hey guys, all of you who think you're so important because you're Jewish, guess what happened? God chose us as Gentiles too because what were they before God chose them as a people? They were just like you and me. They were nothing special. They were Gentiles. And God chose them. We know that story through the Old Testament. But he's basically saying, they're no different. It's who God has chosen to be his people through Jesus Christ. And James stood and he said that. And he made the final determination. And everyone there listened to him. So just keep reading in verse 20. This is what he said. Instead, we should write... And tell them to abstain from eating the food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, and eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in the Jewish synagogues in every city and every Sabbath for many, many generations. Okay, now that little section of scripture really looks like what James is doing is just doing the same things that... <laughs> the sect of the Pharisees were trying to do, right? It's like, well, he's sending them back to the law of Moses by making them observe Jewish law and Jewish custom, especially the way they eat animals. But why is James saying this there? Well, basically, remember, he's talking about a group of people that come from an idolatrous generation, okay? Gentiles, especially in the area of Galatia and in the areas we're going to read about the rest of the Bible, like... Ephesus, Corinth, I mean, the gods they worshiped there, the idols they worshiped there were by the thousands and the thousands and the thousands. So basically what James is saying is, guys, make sure you don't worship idols and make sure you don't fall to be like everyone else in your culture through sexual immorality because how do you think they worshiped idols and how do you think they worshiped their gods? Go read the book of Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. It was a lot through sexual immorality. Okay, so... Basically, and we 
talk about this probably a little bit next week. But basically, this is the same thing Paul is saying in the book of Corinthians. Live your life so others don't stumble. Live your life so that you aren't a hindrance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know in our day, especially many years ago, we used alcohol for that and talked a lot about alcohol with that. But it's the same argument. Different culture, but same argument. We don't want anything in our life to cause another brother or sister to stumble or to hinder someone from coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So that's what he's saying here. That's what he's talking about. And so he says, this is what we should do. We should write them a letter. And then next, in Acts chapter 15, do you know what they do? They write the first epistle. Now, it's not the epistle like the book of Ephesians or the book of Galatians or the book of Corinthians, but they write a letter to all Gentile believers. And so where do you think Paul gets his model for writing letters back to the churches he starts? Right here, what James does in Acts chapter 15. So Paul just follows his lead. But I want you to really see just real quick, and I don't have a lot of time, I want you to see that this truly was a work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit moving, and this was not the idea of man, especially Peter. And this is how I want you to see it. I want you to turn to Galatians 2. Because I want you to see what Peter does. And I want you to listen to what Paul says. Because it's really important in relation to Acts chapter 15. Now remember, who is the book of Galatians written to? It's written to a region, right? It's written to this region, Acts 13 and 14. It's written to a region. And so Paul is writing to the people that we're talking about in Acts chapter 15, the church of Antioch and other churches, okay? And so here in Galatians 2, we have some stories that come back from this same time period of Acts chapter 15, and you have some of the same stories. And so one of them is what happens here when Paul confronts the apostle Peter. Because basically what Peter does is he comes to some churches, the church of Antioch specifically, and he sets down with Gentile believers. And you know what he does? He has a ham sandwich with them. And he's eating it up with them. And he's having a grand old time. And then some Jewish believers come from Jerusalem. And what do you think Peter does? He puts a ham sandwich down. And he runs from Gentile believers because he don't want the people in Jerusalem to think, oh, What's Peter doing there? And so what is Peter? He's a hypocrite. I mean, he is a bold-faced hypocrite. And guess what the Apostle Paul does? He ain't got any qualms about telling him. <laughs> That's pretty much what Paul was like. But look, this is, look at verse 14. Well, I want you to go back. I want you to see what Peter was afraid of, because this is important. Look at verse 12. When he first arrived, talking about Peter, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Now, what were they arguing in Acts chapter 15 about following the laws of Moses, circumcision? But afterward, when some friends of James... Now, who's Peter afraid of? The pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's afraid of him. When some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from the people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision as a result of other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Now, have I ever told you that believers can be deceived? 
be careful. I, I think Barnabas is the most Christ-like dude in the Bible. But does that make him immune from false teaching and falling? Sure don't. Does it make you immune from it? Nope. You better be careful because Peter led Barnabas astray. Did he make him stumble? He sure did. That's what James is talking about in Acts chapter 15. Okay? And why did they stumble? They're afraid of criticism. Anybody in here ever been afraid of criticism? I mean, everybody has been afraid of criticism, right? Of course we have. Okay, look at verse 14. This is what happens. This is Paul talking now. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message. I love that. I said to Peter in front of all the others. He didn't take him aside. He just <laughs> called him out. Since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like these Gentiles, yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not obeying the law, and we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. What is he doing? Just quoting Peter. Dude, you moron, you're the one that said this. Not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying laws. But it gets better. I mean, this is an important part. Just keep, I'm going to read it. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean that Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner, and if I rebuild the old system of the law, I have already tore down, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all of its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Have you ever wondered the context of that verse? We quote it all the time. This is the context of that verse, Acts chapter 15. He's talking about it in Galatians 2. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as a meaningless, for it is... If, if, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ Jesus to die. So you talk about, for once and all, taking that, what the Pharisees are trying to teach, and throwing it and burying it, Paul did it right there. Because Jesus Christ died so that we didn't have to keep some old law system that we can't keep in the first place. Jesus Christ did it all, and he did it all on the cross, and he died for our sins, and what do we do? We put our faith and trust in him, and then we bury our old self, and we live anew as in Christ Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel. And so Paul sets them straight, even Peter and Barnabas. Now, that's amazing to me. But the whole point of this is be careful. Who you listen to, and what you listen to. And even people who you think might have it all together and know exactly what they're saying test everything they say according to Scripture. Everything they say. Because they can be led astray. And so can you, by the way. That's why we stay close to the Word of God, close to the Spirit of God through prayer and fasting and all the things that we do discipline-wise. 
so that we can preserve the truth of the gospel just like the Apostle Paul did. And thank God for it. Amen? Amen. 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 Hey, John, yes, sir. That confrontation says loudly. Yeah, it wasn't. No, Peter was not the Pope. I mean, if he was the Pope. Yeah. I mean, this is a whole, I know we, we can have a long discussion. And I, we've even had some of this in here where Jesus is talking to Peter and saying that on this rock, I will build my church. And I've, un, I've tried to explain to you what that means. But of course, Peter is not Peter's name, right? What's his name? Simon is his name. And that's what James calls him, by the way, in Acts chapter 15. He says, Simon, not Peter. He says in Greek, Simon said to you. He doesn't call him Peter. Who called Peter Peter? Jesus. And it's a nickname, and it's Petros. And what it means is pebble, little bitty pebble, little bitty rock. Okay, so when Jesus is saying that to Peter, it's hard for us, I understand, to get the inflection and to get what he's doing, especially the way they used to talk in first century. But he's talking to Peter and he's saying, Peter, Petros, pebble. And then he says, upon the rock. And he's talking about himself. I will build my church. Because the rock, he says, after Peter, it's the cornerstone. It's the foundation. Peter ain't the foundation of the church. How do I know? Well, go read Galatians 2. If that's the foundation of the church, we got problems. Because he was afraid of criticism, right? That's who he is. I mean, it says it. The Bible says it. And so I love Peter. Thank God for him. I mean, he lived a roller coaster life, and I can see my life all through his. He ain't the foundation of the church, and he sure is God ain't the Pope. And the Pope don't speak for God, and they don't have the right to change Scripture. Catholics believe that, but I'm sorry. It's heresy, okay? I hate to say it, but it's heresy, okay? So trust God's Word and live in the Spirit because how does God work? Through you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the last days, that's how he's going to move on this earth. And I'm telling you, we're getting close. So my prayer is he's moving through you. Amen. Amen. Well